I'm Kashif Khan, your host. Last week, we had a really cool conversation with Dr. Robert Whitfield down in uh, Texas. And we learned that there's all these women out there suffering from something that they don't even know they're suffering from. He's been working cosmetically to help them explant. And that's a term that a lot of people are just learning. The opposite, of course, of an implant removed the medical devices or the implants that they put into their breasts uh, so that they actually feel better. From there is we've, we're learning now as we talk to these women that that's kind of where the journey starts, you know, where you've truly discovered that oh wow, there's this relief, I feel a bit better. Uh, what do I now do? Because in the clinical experience, the explant is it. The the implant is now gone. You're left to then deal with what's the leftovers or the remnants of that that issue. Uh, how do you then handle that? What we've learned is that there's specialists, there's expert experts out there that are focused their time that have learned all the symptomology and all the solutions around this problem and are actually coaching people through. And we're lucky enough to speak to one of them today uh, who I met a few weeks ago on a trip, uh, Sarah Philippe, who has been helping women with their breast implant illness beyond being in the implant itself, but even post-explant. What do you do? How do you get better? What are the best decisions? What supplements should you take, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah. just really, yes. it's a pleasure just to be here and sharing this information. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here because you have this really unique experience. And I'm sure a lot of women are, are going to hear this and say, oh, wow, I didn't even know that's something I need to look at. And I can't think of any other person who's made it their life focus and specialty of this is what I'm going to do. This is what I know best. And this is who I'm going to help. So tell us, I mean, first of all, how did, what led you to this? You know, it really came out of this pain to purpose situation, right? I mean, I think a lot of us in the holistic health or functional medicine world got into this for a reason. And that was because modern medicine really failed us. Mm -hmm. And so we started searching for answers elsewhere and trying different things and, and just going down this path of trying to figure out what does work and what is the cause, right? Of what is the root cause? Um, so for me, you know, I went through all of this myself. Um, my symptoms started within about six months of having my breast implants placed. And I wouldn't say I had a healthy diet and lifestyle prior to that, but I didn't have a symptom to speak of. And right. so, you know, there were other stressors in my life, but at that point they weren't causing any problems that were notable. And so I get breast implants six, you know, within six months, I have all these unexplainable symptoms going from doctor to doctor and no one can really figure it out or help me. And the best advice I'm, I'm getting at this point is, you know, maybe you should see a therapist or maybe you should spice up your sex life or, you know, just things like that, that were just really offensive, right? <laughs> you know, and weren't helpful. And, um, so it, it was a long journey for me kind of coming to a place of deciding to explant. And at the time, there was no information out there about this. No one was talking about it. There were no Facebook groups, there were no websites. And so, you know, it was just this kind of instinct or intuition that I had. And I often wondered if my breast implants could be a part of the picture here for 
just based on everything I was experiencing and didn't have that before. Um, but because there was nothing out there confirming my suspicion or, or my intuition, I just couldn't make that decision and feel confident about it. And so it took me a long time. It took me going down the path of trying all the things um, and just only getting so much better. And so for me, I finally decided to explant when I struggled with fertility issues. And that was my big why um, oh, wow. that, that really pushed me um, down that direction. It, how long ago? How long ago was this? Um, so I explanted four years ago. Four years ago. Okay. And how soon after did you start to feel like this was the right decision? Well, like I said, I had done a lot of things to work on my, on healing and, and addressing other underlying stressors. And so I did get, you know, 50, 60% better. And so I was in a really quite functional place, although I still, you know, obviously was struggling for, with fertility and some gut issues and some neurotransmitter imbalances and things like that. Um, so I did feel kind of, I would say initially I felt just lighter, more calm, more at peace just, and other pe people in my life noticed that about me as well, that I wasn't so intense. Um, I didn't come off that way. My energetic field, you know, was just different. Um, and, and I felt that, you know, and so as far as other symptoms, I had developed stage four endometriosis. And so that wasn't the last surgery for me. Oh. I had to have an, another surgery after that, about six months later to get rid of all that um, endometrial tissue that was implanted in all these different organs in my body. Cause that wasn't just going to go away all by itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it was really that surgery, um, that made the biggest difference for me, but I knew because the breast implants were a part of that root cause picture that I needed to do that first and sure. then address the endometriosis. So now fast forward four years, of course, I feel amazing. I don't really right. have any symptoms to speak of. Well, you're, you're glowing. I mean, I met you in person and you look like you, I, we, we met at this healthcare conference and you look like you were meant to be speaking on stage because you look so healthy and you were like living life properly. I could see it. Yeah. And even online, I can see your skin glowing and you, you sort of, you know, embody health. And this is where, so what were the st things you started to do and implement, uh, sort of that you learned that were specific to BII? Here's some things that I, I kind of need to ch make changes. So, I mean, specific to BII, I guess the time frames were a little different for me as far as what I did specifically for BII. So initially, you know, focusing on the basics, diet, getting gluten and dairy and soy and sugar and alcohol and caffeine and those basic things out of my diet because they weren't serving me and they were making me feel terrible, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So like basic things like that are really important, but then I know, you know, knowing what I know about breast implants, um, I know detoxification pathways are compromised. I know, you know, there's this kind of overflown toxic bucket as, as we know that, you know, the silicone gel implants, which are the kind that I had do start bleeding at body temperature. And so you're exposed to, you know, 40 plus different toxic chemical compounds plus the silicone, which is, um, considered a neurotoxin and, uh, an immune stressor. Right. So, um, I knew the detox pathways needed to be, you know, supported, reestablished, 
I knew drainage was a huge issue. So for a lot of us women, um, lymphatic flow is a huge problem. And just think about, you know, like these big, heavy implants just sitting on your chest and there's all this dense lymphatic tissue around that area. It's like, I think 30% is actually in the head and neck. I don't remember what percentage is in the chest and armpits, but it's a significant amount. It's significant. Yeah. And so as those implants are bleeding, you know, you can definitely congest that lymphatic flow and everything is very sticky and goopy and stuck. Sometimes you get big lymph nodes that are really swollen and painful under the armpits. And so that stuff can't move well. And so if that's not draining well, then we know the downstream pathways also probably Mm -hmm. are pretty congested, right? The liver, the kidneys, the gallbladder people often aren't pooping regularly, you know, um, or, or if they are, maybe they have other GI issues like diarrhea, um, and gas and bloating and things like that. So the toxicity component of it is huge. And, um, you think about detoxification, you can't mobilize toxins if they can't get out. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to start with the drainage. You have to be pooping two to three times a day. You have to really work on supporting the liver, the kidneys, the gallbladder, all of those things that I mentioned. And then at some point, you know, um, the next step is supporting lymphatic flow, but you don't want to start there because if everything downstream is clogged up, where's it going to go? Right. And th- this is where, I mean, you spoke about lymphatic flow and the, the pressure, like literal physical pressure that prevents proper flow. So even just starting with that, you you map things out functionally, meaning that you're not it's sort of in the medical, like looking at what's that overlying symptom and just isolating that. You're saying that it starts here, but there's a card of kind of a, you know deck of cards that gets stacked, and you move one of them, it affects everything else, right? So in terms of lymphatic flow, some people may not even realize what that even is like what's how is that so important so so what do you tell your the people that you've been helping in terms of okay i've removed the plant that pressure's gone what do they expect the benefit to be from that yeah well you know lymph is really important uh drainage pathway but also a pathway that nutrients move from throughout the body into the cells so and it's a huge part of your immune system as well um and so gosh i could go off on a lot of tangents here but <laughs> Um, but, but the lymph is so important because of all of those things, because we're moving nutrients into the cells, we're moving toxins away from the cells out of the body. And, you know, there is a, like I said, the immune system is a huge factor because some oftentimes pathogens will hide in the lymphatic tissue to kind of evade the immune system. Um, so moving the lymph is really important to, mobilize those toxins. But like I said, starting there is never a great idea. Um, and when people do, when they're super sick, like women who have breast implant illness, they'll often feel a lot worse. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can take sometimes a week to recover from that. Um, so it's so important to do things in the right order, which is, you know, this, all this whole process has come from just trial and error and figuring it out along the way with myself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You, you made yourself the guinea pig and you were successful. And then, and that's when I guess the the light bulb went off that people need this. So when did, when did it shift from self-healing to, I need to get this out to other people? Um, when I was recovering from my explant surgery on the, on the couch, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's when I started my website, started blogging, started, you know, I heard had already focused on a lot of this myself 
I was already well into, you know, detoxing my body and addressing pathogens and the immune system and all of that. Um, before I explanted, I just sort of continued that journey afterward. Um, mm -hmm. and you can do that. I mean, there is a good amount of detox support, not active chelation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking right. about supporting the detox pathways and supporting drainage that some, you know, you'd be surprised how good someone can feel, even though they still have their implants in just getting the body prepped for the surgery, mm -hmm. you know, so, so the gut, you know, supporting the microbiome, like I said, moving the bowels, um, hydration is so key and not just hydration, but hydration with good, pure, clean water, you know, um, bottled water is not sufficient water that comes from a fridge filter or a Brita is not sufficient. And even now, um, you know, I used to recommend the, the Berkey and I'm kind of taking a step back from that. I'm no longer recommending it because there's just certain things in the water in tap water, um, that you can't get out without distillation. And mm -hmm. so that's radioactive elements are a big one. And being in San Antonio now, um, we live in the radium belt. And so there oh, is wow. radium in the water here. And so the only way to get that out is distilled water. And so reducing every, as much that's coming in, congesting all your pathways is really helpful as well, just to prep, prep for surgery. And then obviously after it's helpful too, for your detox experience, but there's so much that can be done before to improve so, how someone feels. And that's where most people think of the kind of support you offer as posts, like, okay, the doctor's going to take care of me. Now I need someone to manage my post non-clinical experience. But the, the realization of I can have a much better clinical experience if my body was ready and prepared for, which people don't realize they aren't. And like you said, and it happens in many things. You find this with certain IVs or certain even uh, mental health therapies, whatever. If you're not prepared for what's about to happen, you may not extract the full benefit of that thing. Right. And even then it could have an adverse effect for, like you said, some time and then you kind of recover. But you could just have a much better experience if you knew what you were doing. You've been through it all. So you're able to warn women about what's to come and how to prepare. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. And then, you know, there's a big piece that people often don't consider. And that's the mental, emotional aspect. Right, and, right. you know, women like me got breast implants placed for a reason. And it's not always an insecurity. Um, that it came out of. It's sometimes breast cancer, of course. I mean, not sometimes, it's often breast cancer. I mean, mm -hmm. breast cancer is rampant. Um, so that's not always the case, but there is a mental emotional component to explant and coming to terms with that, um, sorting through who you are without those implants, mm -hmm. right? Because they tend to define us as a woman, as women, <laughs> right, right? You know, and, um, you know, sorting through all of that can take time and it can be emotional. And it's a really important part of the healing journey. If you don't address that, um, you can only go so far and then you're going to hit a wall. And it's yeah, oftentimes yeah. that emotional release that just hasn't happened yet. So there's, there's this, you know, segment of women that go through it and that's it. They're done. And now it's healing. Then there's some women that say, I need to recover from the surgery so I can go get a fat transfer and get back to my you know physical self that i wanted to be but in a healthier way so how do you see that split is that where most women are leaning towards or is it more like no I, i'm done with this i've changed my identity back to how i was born and i'm sticking with it i think it's um i don't know how like percentage wise 
what that looks like, but I see both. Um, and I personally had a fat transfer as well. Um, I will say though, that doing it at the time of your explant is not typically very successful. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what, you know, I, um, experienced personally and what I've seen with other women. Um, you just need, the body needs time to heal and recover and you need to address the inflammation before you're ever going to retain the fat that's transferred. Right. Right. So I do see women who, um, you know, want to maintain some sort of aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing appearance. And so they will go for the fat graft. But I also think that there's a risk there. And had I known better, I would have made a different decision at the time. Um, but you're putting yourself at risk for even greater lymphatic flow issues. You know, think about the lymph is very superficial Mm -hmm. underneath the tissue, underneath the skin, and then you've got the fatty tissue right underneath that. So if you're going through the lymph to get to the fat and it's very aggressive, you know, this kind of motion, very aggressive surgery to get that liposuction, to get all the fat out and then transfer it to the breast that you, you just risk a lot of scar tissue and it may not even be like palpable to you, but it's there. And that's like a snag in the pantyhose. Yeah. People, yeah. They don't realize that that whole lipo procedure, how painful it is. It's one of the most painful things you can do in cosmetic surgery because you would think, oh, it's just fat and it's not like going into an organ or, you know, breaking a bone, but it's, it's, it's intense. And you hear the story, the bruising, the scraping, and often somebody like you who is more slender, it's actually hard to get it done where you don't have the ripples and the after effect. And because you already have, you don't have as much fat to begin with anyway. Right. So that challenge is there. But so we found that um, some of the women that we've coached and we've spoken to, you know, it's it's a lot easier to cope with that emotional side called the PTSD of losing your implants with the, you know, the fat transfer. So it's good that the options are. I would agree. And I, I, I always shared with people too, when I first had it done that even though I lost it all, <laughs> it didn't stick. Um, it did really help the first time I saw myself without the implants, like looking down and seeing like, oh, well, that doesn't look so bad, you right, know, right. because I had that fat graft at the same time. It was, <laughs> easy, it was an easier transition. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So now you've started working with women. So there's the pre and the post and the pre you've kind of went through where you're kind of setting them up so their body's better prepared to be sort of resilient and get through the process the potential sort of red flags that could come up and cause an issue you mitigate some of those what's happening in the post you know how do how do they work with you ongoing and what are the main sort of buckets of here's where we need to focus and you know this is what's what's potentially going to happen yeah and i think you know there are there are other practitioners out there supporting women post-explant. I'm not the only one. Um, I was the only one initially, and now we have others who are um, stepping up and um, wanting to, you know, be a part of this. So that's good because there are more women that need help that need help mm-hmm. than I can personally work with. So <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, no but my approach, I think is very different. It's very unique. Um, when women are in these various Facebook groups, one of the biggest things that they hear constantly or read constantly is that they need to detox mm-hmm. after their explant. And my first question is, what does that even mean? I mean, what someone intent, what what someone's you know intention or thought about what detox is may be very different than another person's. Mm-hmm. And so someone may think of detox as a colon cleanse or an ionic foot bath or sweating in the sauna, or I don't know, 
a liver cleanse, a, a, a colon, did I ever say colon cleanse? So things like that, where you're focusing on an organ and it's really, you know, that's drainage pathway. That's not an, that's not detox, right? It performs a detoxification action for you. Yeah. That's a, it's a last step. It's a clearance, right? right? Um, and so for me, like I said, no matter where you are, whether you're pre or post, the focus is always microbiome drainage. So making sure you're pooping, opening up, opening up the liver, kidneys, gallbladder, lymph, um, so, uh, making sure you're getting enough minerals for hydration, clean water, clean food, cleaning up your personal care products, making sure the air you're breathing in the home is clean. So just reducing the load, right? Getting the load down that you're exposed mm -hmm. to. And then um, mitochondria are absolutely key. Um, you cannot heal the body without restoring mitochondrial function. And when the mitochondria are exposed to some kind of chronic threat, whether it's toxicity or some sort of infection or some kind of trauma, you can get stuck in this, what is called cell danger response. And so you can get stuck in one of those phases of the cell danger response. When things are not chronic, it's acute and you just have an exposure, you'll go into that cell danger response and the mitochondria are like in, they're basically in battleship mode for you. They're going mm -hmm. to bat for you. They're going to go fight that threat. And then once they go through that process, it shuts off and everything returns to normal. Like I said, though, when things are chronic, they, you can get stuck in one of those phases and that leads to disease. And so we have to get out of that. And that, that doesn't just happen all by itself. So yeah. and, there's and a process. The things you're talking about. So it's funny how when we talk to someone who's dove deep into sort of the root cause, the why behind the condition, that the, the, what you speak of sounds so similar and familiar to the other things, meaning that it's, it's innate cellular health, meaning that all these conditions are, it, you happen to go down this path, this path, this path to lead to that symptomology of a, a condition with a label. But if you peel back the layers, it all starts with, like you're talking about, mitochondrial health, cellular health, inflammatory load. So you, know, the, you, you can somewhat generalize and say, here's the things that are causing everything. Right. We know that we know that disease is rooted in inflammation. We know that inflammation is rooted in poor cellular health. And here's sort of the toxic insults that people may be not so aware of that are in their day to day that are causing that load. And it's it's unfortunate that they have to go through, you know, a life changing event like this to meet somebody like you who they can tell them, here's the stuff that was right under your nose that you didn't even know was a problem. And this happened to be the problem that it could express, right? But it could have been something else. I have an autoimmune condition. I have leaky gut. I have whatever it may be, right? So we keep hearing the same thing over and over again in terms of that toxic load, that insult to the cells. Our bodies weren't designed to cope with this type of, type of load. And then a switch turns on. You cross that threshold, which you no longer can cope with. And boom, there's a label of a disease. Exactly. Right. It all goes back to, to toxic exposures, truly. I mean, people think candida is, is their root cause or parasites are, are their root cause or SIBO is their root cause. It's not. Right. <laughs> you right. know, what is the toxin that's feeding that problem? There is one mm -hmm. and or many, like usually many. Um, and so that is where the focus needs to be. But I think that people can get really hung up on wanting to detox, mm -hmm. but they have to understand that you don't want to start there, you know, drainage, then 
in my, you know, the work that I do, I tend to then focus on parasites because if you have a pulse, you have a parasite. We are where this is not a third world issue. Right. You know, right. if you have animals, if you have, uh, if you eat sushi, if you eat undercooked meat, if you drink raw milk, if you walk barefoot ever, you know, if yeah, you swim yeah. in natural bodies of water, you know, you're exposed every day. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so it's really important to, to address parasites in that, and that that's the next step, really. It's an order thing. It's everything in the right order because parasites can hold their body weight in toxic compounds. And they also continuously expose people to things like viruses like Epstein-Barr, cytomegalovirus. They continually expose people to other bad bacteria, other parasites, um, you know, pathogens that cause Lyme, their co-infections, things like that. So they're a huge problem, not to say that's the root of the problem, but before we can start cleaning up the body, they're a huge source of exposure. So we want to clean that up first. And we're never going to fully 100% get rid of all parasites, nor is that the goal. The goal is to bring the load down so that your immune system can start to balance itself out again and so that we can reduce the toxic load that way first. So when when you're working with someone, what do you do to identify what that parasitic load is? Or do you even need to? It's just an assumption that they have it. And then once you've identified it, what, what are you doing about it? Like I said, if you have a pulse, you have a parasite. And um, so I tend not to test for them because stool tests are notoriously inaccurate. You know, they use PCR Mm -hmm. testing and oftentimes the like parasites, for instance, are going to be already degraded um, beyond beyond being recognizable in the lab by the time the stool sample gets there. I only can count maybe two or three times I've ever seen a parasite show up on a stool analysis. But when we do work when we go after parasites, the evidence is obvious. You see that people see them coming out, um, even though they tested negative. So it's all, it's actually a really, you know, rewarding and gratifying experience to just see like your efforts and what they're producing and it's better out than in. (laughs) And for sure. I've, yeah, once you start to see, like I've seen, I literally went into a lab once where they do a live, you know, they do a blood draw and while you're there they put it up on the screen they're showing you your blood cells and this parasitic activity and these parasites literally feeding off of your blood and so it's it's there regardless of how clean you think you are so the and the solution is it do you specifically target parasites first or is this come back to the overall wellness you're talking about this is one of the first things that sort of unravels itself or is there a specific like laser focus here's what we do about this Yeah, there is a specific way I go about it. And, you know, parasites aren't just isolated to the gut. They're systemic as well. And so, you know, there's certain larger ones that stay in the gut. There are visible ones that can end up in various places as well, like the liver, the gallbladder, the sinus cavities, Mm -hmm. and even Mm -hmm. the brain. So the first step is going after gut parasites, kind of clearing out the gut as much as we can. Um, over, you know, a couple of months or so, and then moving into more systemic parasites. And that process can be longer. There's certain parasites that have, you know, a six month life cycle. And so you really have to continue for a certain period of time in order to get all the life cycles, because if you miss an egg, you know, then. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. 
lots of eggs anyway, then you have the same problem, you know, again in six months. So it just is this vicious cycle. So there is a, a an order to it. There is a way I go about it and I do use natural herbal products um, to, to go about this. And for the systemic things, the products are, are, you know, they go systemic throughout the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not just staying in the gut. Um, and, you know, it's not only important for just bringing the pathogen load down and bringing the, the um, exposure to other toxins down, but also, like I said, repairing the immune balance. So the TH1, TH2 immune system um, will be thrown off by, you know, a heavy parasitic load. Um, and then they also like to steal our nutrients. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. like to steal things like zinc and iron from us. So if you see, you know, anemia on blood work and you see, you know, um, eosinophils are elevated, you know, that that's a telltale sign that you have parasite issues. Yeah, we had a patient that was literally 50% bedridden, meaning that this person would wake up in the morning, feel great. And by the time they ate, they'd be, they're done for the rest of the day until bedtime. And it was sort of this uh, parasitic activity they found later. There was also worms. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on. They were a great host, apparently, you know, and uh, <laughs> and it, it just drained them because they weren't getting the nutrients for their food and they didn't eat much to begin with because they were into fitness. Uh, and they just felt like, why do I, why can't I live? I have no energy. I'm dead. I can't do anything. Uh, and when it, is, when it started to affect their mental health, that's when they went to go see somebody who gave them a parasite supplement and what started coming out in their poop was unbelievable you know so uh and they didn't realize what they were actually hosting and the weight that they lost and the way they changed their energy levels etc so it's amazing work you're doing but so now you've dealt with the parasites which is sort of phase one let's get you sort of healthy let's get you back to what you used to be right and then where do you go from there where do you take them next yeah so drainage is phase one parasites are typically phase two and three and then because they were dealing with different types of parasites and then um phase four is where we start to get deeper with um more heavy metal environmental toxicant mm-hmm. binders kind of going deeper systemically you know pull, binding to and pulling things out of the cells that don't belong there um, and it's not just what's in the implants that we're pulling out it's not you know just those compounds it's all the things you're exposed to in life Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to have more of a broad, a wide net, um, that kind of approach rather than just thinking you can target silicone. And honestly, we haven't found a way to target silicone yet. That is still being you know, looked into and studied. And um, hopefully in the next year or two, we'll have an answer. But there is no known way mm-hmm. as of yet to get silicone out of the body. I know moving the lymph is definitely key, but how else, like, how can we bind it? It has to have the right kind of charge in order to be bound by a binder. And so have the solution for that yet, but um, it's being worked on. So there's a light at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) Yeah, and that's part of the the trick is that you're working on it, uh, but the right people that could potentially create a solution don't think it's a problem yet. Right. <laughs> and so the places where you go to shop aren't productive. Anyway, so that's a whole other topic that we could dive into. But uh, so then so you've taken them through this journey. Uh, I would think that from the sounds of all of what you're doing, regardless of the BII or not, this is something that anybody would need in, in terms of the way we live today. Right. And regardless of what that trigger is, that thing that became the pain point, 
anyone going through this process in the way that North American North Americans live, it's it would be life changing. Absolutely. Right. As, do you, yeah, as, do I mean, you, it's do, it's really um, it's the approach is really amazing for women with breast implant illness because of, like I said, the toxic load is so high and the immune system is so dysregulated. And so that paves the way for all these different microorganisms to create a home. You're a good host, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and feed off of all of that. And so this tends to be a really good approach and people often feel so much better in the drainage phase. And then they may feel a little worse going through the parasite work, just depending on how severe of a problem it is. Um, parasites can send chemical messengers to our brain and really impact neurotransmitters and our thoughts and our emotions and things like that. So there can be this emotional detox as a part of that work. Um, so it's not always easy, but sometimes it's like this huge game changer for people and they just didn't know how much better they could feel just going through that one part. Yeah, that's truly awesome. That's awesome. And then it makes the rest of it so much easier. It makes the detox side of things a lot easier. For sure. Have you experienced, because we've seen this here, so I'm in Toronto, as you know, and there was a big sort of, um, you know, uproar for, it lasted maybe a week because there was some stuff in the newspaper about a particular woman who identified with BII and then it was kind of rejected as a claim from her clinicians and they said that's not a thing, right? We haven't been taught that yet. Uh, but she pushed, 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 and it was, you know, explanted felt a lot better. So anyways, there was something in the news a few years ago about all this, and the solution was to get rid of the textured implants. So Health Canada jumped in, said, we're going to do something. They got rid of them, but, you know, everything else still exists. Because there was pushback in terms of belief of this problem even being real, right? Meaning clinically, allopathic medicine, you know, prove it to us. Well, I, you have 4,000, 5,000 women that will say that, yeah, it's real. So that's all anecdotal and the work that you do, the work that other people are doing to support, you know, your goal is I want to make you feel better. It's not necessarily I'm a clinical researcher that wants to wrap a drug around this that I can take to FDA and clear. So do you have you have you experienced any pushback from sort of regulatory or medical sort of establishment saying that you're talking about something that isn't even real? No, not at all. Um, And, you know, the thing is, is that I am. I'm very careful about how I word things and how I talk about things and um, even what I say to my clients, because, you know, I, um, there's limitations on what I can do, right? I can't mm-hmm. treat people in the medical sense. I can't prescribe. I can't, I can't diagnose things like that. Right. So I don't even love the word, the term breast implant illness, to be quite honest with you, because it gives the breast implants all of the credit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they really deserve only part of the credit um, because nothing happens in isolation. Um, it's never just one thing. It's usually a culmination of sure. events sure. or things that creates this perfect storm. And so we kind of have to take a step back and look at this a bit more non-specifically and stop, not stop, but maybe reduce how narrow it, the focus is with breast implants and realize, like I said, that that's just a piece of the puzzle. It is a piece of the puzzle we're going to address. We have to look at, step back and look at all these other things, right? And so my approach really is about removing stressors one by one from the body so that the body can get back to balance and heal. So in that sense, I'm not treating anything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So people can't get mad at me. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and like you said, the, 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 the implant is sort of the trigger, meaning that this is, and there's a couple of layers. You know, why me? Why, why do my friend has the same implants from the same doctor? No problem. Why me? Well, you may not have the same environment, nutrition, and lifestyle habits as your friend. And of course, we've, we've had a discussion about the genetics where you may not be genetically capable of the same thing as your friend, right? Meaning the, the glutathionization, the methylation anti-inflammatory pathways could be different, right? So your ability to cope, are you designed you know, as an off-road SUV or a Ferrari? And you need to know then what to do with that, what hardware that you have, right? So, and that goes back to exactly what you said, that create the right environment. Maybe that person that is highly suboptimal genetically, but healthy, would not have been triggered by this implant because that they're not crossing that threshold, right? Somebody that's unhealthy with the best genetics and the best everything could very easily call because they're already there. That's the tipping point. And this, they just needed something to push them over, right? So, yeah, so I agree with you. This is where, so do, do women ever work with you to say, I actually want to keep my implants, make me healthy so I can? You know, I've had one or two people reach out to me about that. And I tend to really just focus on supporting the women who um, either have a plan to explant or are already explanted because like I said, there's only one of me and there's a lot mm -hmm. of sick women who need help. So I tend to focus on that population. There are others out there who focus on helping everyone, anyone, you know, who right. wants to optimize right. their body's function. And I think that also is where, um, you know, the DNA, um, test that you guys offer is helpful for that. Cause we can take, a, we're going to be able to see right people's genetics and how that plays into, you know, uh, how someone feels with breast implants, whether they're predisposed genetically to becoming sick or, you know, are there things that we can do to optimize how someone feels if they don't want to explant, mm -hmm. you know, or mm -hmm. they want to prevent this from happening. So there are a lot of ways we can utilize that as a tool. And I even think it's going to optimize the work that I do with my, with my clients as well, you know, really focusing in on exactly what this person needs. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can vary. Um, so that hopefully that answers your question. No, no, that's good. I mean, I yeah, that's what I mean. The thought is that, uh, you know, first of all, we're thinking that there's a lot of plastic surgeons and clinicians that we've spoken to that that's their goal, right? How do I do this in a healthy way? Because the, the implant industry hasn't stopped, right? It's going to continue. If anything, it's going to get bigger. So is there another approach where the knowledge that you've now created through your own work, which is not well known it's it's well known in terms of you need to be healthy but that it applies to this right if that knowledge can be transported to i'm about to get an implant and maybe it's not right for me but i'm going to do it anyway which you, you get that attitude you'll get plenty of that right um what can we do to help that person and that's what we're starting to see that for the first time we're hearing whispers of allopathic medicines particularly plastic surgeons saying should i screen this person you know, whether it's genetic, genetically or, you know, blood work, uh, should I offer them supplementation or a solution or something that comes with, you know, when a doctor tells a patient to get on Lipitor, cholesterol pill, they tell them you have to take CoQ10, right? There's a supplement that they tell them you have to take because it depletes your body stores of CoQ, like you need it, right? You're, otherwise your cells are under too much of a load. So that by, with the type of work that you're doing, the knowledge is now created. It didn't exist before. And now all of a sudden there could be a layer where your impact could extend much greater where 
well, there's a certain cohort and it's probably a much bigger number of women that just aren't going to, you know, they'll, they'll even deal with the pain. They'll keep going. Maybe there's a way that they don't have to, right? Maybe there's a way that they can just, here's a thing that you can tack on. But ultimately, when it's overwhelming, you know, the explant probably is the right choice. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, I don't condone people making the decision to get implants or making the decision to not explant, especially if they're unwell, but it's a mm -hmm. personal choice. And I also don't judge anyone for their choices. And so if, if someone is going to decide to um, get implants or keep their implants in and not explant and wants to, you know, take that risk in with an informed decision, I think that's key. Mm -hmm. Um, then yeah, there are things we can do now, right? Based on your guys' research, which is awesome. Yeah, that's and we can't wait to start working with you on that. So we we have ourselves up here, you know, anecdotally here and there. There's women that have had issues, uh, and we've learned a lot. You know, it, do, we were triggered by that news story that I was talking about a couple of years ago to say, well, what can we do? How can we help? And we actually partnered with a, a college up here in Canada to start researching. And that opened our eyes. We hadn't heard of this condition prior to that, right? And even to call it a condition, like you said, I don't think it's the right thing to do because it's it's really more a trigger than it is a condition, right? Um, and that's when we started to learn what those triggers are and how they're different for different people. And then how you could potentially resolve this pain point that was being chalked up as an autoimmune condition, you know, hormonal imbalance, mental health problem. And all of a sudden you're taking pills for three or four different things that are all symptom masking. Right, that are foundationally rooted in the same central hub of a problem, which is that inflammatory cellular load, right? And so, uh, anyway, so yeah, long story short, we did some work on it, but you've, you've really advanced that in terms of here's the protocols that people need, right? So, so that's awesome. So the work that you do, how, how do women find you? How do they even know you exist? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, from what I can tell, it seems like people find me on some form of social media, whether it be Instagram or Facebook or um, Pinterest, actually, you'd be surprised how many mm. people find me mm. on Pinterest, um, podcast interviews, YouTube, you know, my website, people just start Google searching. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I just randomly pop up here and there sometimes. And and the other way is word of mouth, of course. So my clients talk about me, other people and gr other groups talk about me who've heard about the work that I do. And so that's just, that's basically what I know of. I haven't ever done any advertising or anything like that. So people just find me organically. Yeah, well, when you're doing the kind of work you do that's so needed and you're doing such a good job of it, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there talking about their amazing results. People will find you because you're solving a big problem that people didn't know needed solving, you know? The interesting thing is, is that when I first, um, so I had been, you know, an, a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner for a few years before I started focusing on breast implant illness, but my business never really took off. And I still had to mm -hmm. maintain my day job as a nurse in a hospital. And um, that was stressful for me too, because I didn't love what I was doing because I didn't feel like I was helping anyone. Um, <laughs> and um, as soon as I made that decision in my heart and in my mind to shift gears and really focus on supporting women like me, the floodgates opened. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's just, there's nothing like that to just reinforce that you're on the right path, that this is yeah. your purpose. Yeah. That's, that's truly awesome. That's awesome because you're, you've shifted gears to like truly giving you, you went through the journey yourself 
you learn that there's this major problem, you open it up and said, I'll help everybody else. And then the universe comes and says, well, here you go. Everyone's, everyone's been waiting for you. You know, that's all. So, so today, today, how does somebody find you if they need to work with you? So you can, they can either go to my website, reversingbreastimplantillness.com. Um, you can join my private Facebook group, which is the same name there. It's all the same name, reversing okay. breast implant illness. Okay. Um, I, like I said, I'm on Instagram with the same handle. Um, I have a few YouTube videos up, but I'm working on creating more. So that will be coming. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, there's um, a place on my website. You can reach out and request a 45 minute complimentary discovery call. If you'd like to, um, you know, talk about whether, you know, I can help you and if we're a good fit to work together um, and go from there. And for those women that for whom they're listening to this, this is entirely new and they just want to learn more and start to match up symptoms. Does this sound like me? I, I feel this thing going on. Is it really, where can they go to learn, you know, before even deciding whether to make the call perhaps? I think joining face, don't join too many Facebook groups because it right. can be overwhelming right. and then your entire feed is just full of overstimulation and, and yeah. you yeah. know, too much information, I would say. So um, join one or two, um, you know, read some of the stories and right. oftentimes right. you'll see yourself in someone's story. And it's like usually this right. light bulb aha moment that people have and where they just can't believe they never thought of this before. They can't believe no mm-hmm. one ever told them about this before, you know, and it's because it's just not that well known yet. Um, it's getting out there more and more as people like you and I start talking about it and sharing and on platforms like this. Um, but, you know, it takes time and um, it's going to be usually new concepts take two decades before they're going right. to become mainstream. Right. 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 So. Well, it's awesome to know that you're, you're pioneering it. I mean, two decades from now, people are going to look back and say, who made this happen? And you're one of those people. Yeah. I mean, I'm you glad know. to be one of those people. There's a lot of people out there fighting for, for women like me and um, just, you know, taking this to the FDA, taking this to, you know, all the people who can create change. So, um, there are people working and helping in so many different ways. Yeah, well, this is awesome. The work you're doing. I think, I mean, anyone that's listening, that's been worried and people do, they tune in to just hear like, you know, what sounds like me, like you said, trying to find my story and somebody else's story and to be able to resolve something that feels like this autoimmune constant, like, why am I just different? You know, and then get to that. That's, it's awesome what you're doing. So I want to thank and they, you know, if you want to read my whole story, you can find that on my website too. There's a tab set that says my story, and um, that might be helpful too for people to read. For sure, and I think people will sort of resonate when they when they hear that, if in fact that's what their issue is. So, so wanted to thank you, Sarah. This is awesome. I think there's so many women that are going to hear this and be like, "Wow, this is the thing that I was waiting to hear that I needed that I didn't even know I needed," and it was great that you're able to share and. I would, you know, support anybody that feels that this sounds like them, that they've been wondering what has been going on, reach out, you know, first of all, go read the story, get on the Facebook group, try and try and learn and book that call because all of a sudden this weight that you just couldn't resolve, no doctor's been able to answer like what is going on, appointment after appointment, drug after treatment, after protocol, nothing's working. The answer may have been something that's right under your nose, literally, that you didn't know about, right? Uh, so reach out, try and figure it out. But thank you again for attending. This was awesome. Can't wait for everyone to hear it. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much also for the work that you guys have done and just studying this and, um, you know, giving us tools that can really help optimize 
function. Oh, yeah. Great to work with you on that too.